Okay, I'm going to start off to start off this lesson uh, actually with a with an audience question. Here's the question: Are you listening to these studies? Are they helpful? If if you are, just uh, maybe respond to this email that that this came attached in with just one word: listening. That way, I'll know. I I I don't mind at all putting in the time and uh, the study for this. If it's meeting a need, but if it isn't, well, I'll, I'll move on to other things. But so, if you are listening to this, just uh, respond to the email with one word: listening, and that way I'll know that uh, this is actually having a ministry as we move forward. We're continuing our look at Psalm 119, and just a reminder: we're not exactly sure who wrote this psalm. Many biblical scholars believe that it was David, and it was. At the time, actually, when David was being chased all over the countryside by King Saul, who was trying to kill him. Even if it wasn't David, we can say with certainty that whoever wrote this psalm was in the midst of a pretty stressful time based on his or her comments and, and their kind of requests they're making of God. So Today, we're going to be looking at verses 65 through 72 of Psalm 119, if you want to get in there in your Bibles or on your devices to kind of follow along as we work our way down through this. Psalm 119, starting with verse 65. And as we worked our way th down through this particular psalm, uh, this particular chapter, uh, we've heard the writer on a number of occasions declare his confidence and his trust in God, in God's promises, in God's protection, in, in God's word. Back in verse 41, he talked about God's unfailing love. Over and over again, he said that he's found God's word and God's promises the refuge that he needs during this time. Which makes verse 65, as we dig into this next section of, of this chapter, a little bit surprising because here's what he writes. Do good to your servant, according to your word, O Lord. It, it, it's, it's kind of strange. Uh, he's been talking about how good God is and how much he trusts him and how, how, how encouraged he is by him and how he sees him as his refuge and his strength. But now he seems to be coming into this section with a question mark. Why? What's going on? Well, here's my response to that statement. You know, what on earth that makes him think he has to remind God to be good? And in fact, he's already said, based on what he's seen, that God is good. But here's, here's what's going on here. I think this is a very human reality. And here's the reality. When we're in a prolonged time of crisis and suffering, it can cause us to question, can't it? It can cause us to start to wonder, uh, you know, God, I've always thought you were good, but why am I going through this? If you're good, why why am I having this experience? Uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about God's Word, and I mentioned this on a number of occasions, is, is the honesty and the integrity of, of its record regarding the individuals that God has used in over the over the time frame to uh, and and as they've walked and as they've accomplished his purposes, and he's always it's, God's words always been really upfront about the fact that they they weren't perfect human beings, and 
and there were times when they had their doubts and and they were and they were even afraid uh during crises and tough times uh did they need to be afraid N no god's got whatever it is they're dealing with he's got it he's going to take care of it do they sometimes worry and get afraid do they sometimes question god's goodness in the middle of a tough time yes definitely like you and i do but that doesn't change God's faithfulness, and it doesn't change the, his goodness. And, and frankly, the fact that God recorded it for us here, it shows us that God's not put off or put back by our, our times of questioning. Uh, in spite of that, he's faithful, and, and he's loving in the midst of those times, and he will do what's right, even when we're feeling a little shaky in our faith. So at least in the, in the NIV translation, you hear him basically questioning. I, I know what your word says. I know you promised to take care of me. I, I know you promised to give me the strength I need to make it through this hard time. But God, I'm having a hard time trusting right now. So I can't trust you, right? Sometimes we just need to hear ourselves say things like that out loud, don't we? In fact, the very next verse, verse 66, is pretty insightful because he goes on. He says, teach me knowledge and, and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Nothing like a really difficult situation to make, make us question our own judgment. Isn't that the case? You know, we go into those seasons feeling confident, uh, but as the pressure mounts, we become more and more insecure. I, I thought I could handle this. Now I'm not so sure. I thought I needed I to know what needed what I need. I thought I knew what I needed to know about this, but I'm feeling pretty ignorant right now. I was sure I was strong enough to go through this and stay strong in faith and in my faith, but man, I'm feeling a little shaky. And then there are a lot of voices out there, and they're saying totally different things. Who am I supposed to believe? Who do I trust? The writer's answer to that question, you trust God, you trust his word. And so he prays, Lord, please give me good judgment with this thing. Boy, that's not a bad thing to be praying right now, wouldn't you say? Verse 67, he goes on, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. You know what my own personal experience has been? Crisis, crisis seems to tend to drive us in, in one of two directions, especially when it comes to the Lord. They either drive us away from the Lord, or they drive us tighter into his arms. They drive us away. I believe that's an indicator that we didn't really know him very well in the first place. Now, it kind of reminds me of the man back in that Matthew writes about in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25. And he writes about these three men, actually, and the master gave each man uh, some talents, some money is, is the indication. Uh, each one were given a different amount. Uh, each one were told to take what he had given them and put it to good use while he was gone, while he was away. And, and the master was gone for a while and eventually came back and, and he, one by one, each of the men came before him. And the first two men each had taken their, their talents, their resources given to them by the master and, and had invested it and, and used it, spread it out for good. And, 
and had a lot of accomplishments from it. And But the last man, the third man, remember, he did nothing with it. He just buried the talent. Then he just gave it back to the master. And, and when the master asked him why he did that, his answer was, because I knew you were a hard man. I knew you reaped where you didn't, where you don't sow, and I knew you would gather where you had scattered no seed. Man said, "I I know you, and and so I know I knew better than to take a chance and lose it. I better have it when you came back, so I could give it back to you." And, well, based on the way the master treated the other servants, the man didn't know anything about the master because the reality was. For all those other two guys who had invested, who used those funds to those talents to do good things, he gave them even more good stuff. He this one servant really didn't know the master at all. Because of that, he jumped to a completely wrong conclusion. When hard times drive us away from God, it's showing that we really don't know him. We're jumping to a wrong conclusion about him. We're or we wouldn't be going in the opposite direction. If we really knew him, we'd be running to his arms where there is safety and protection. The writer of this psalm, in spite of his momentary misgiving, in spite of wondering for a minute, the reality is he knows God. And so as this got hard and increasingly hard, what it did in his life is it pushed him closer to God. And drove him into his word, into God's word even more, which, which begs a personal question for you and I. What's this crisis doing to you? What's it doing to me? And I, and, and particularly in my relationship with God, is it driving me to Him, or am I getting pretty shaky now? I started to question God's goodness, uh, because if I am, then it's starting to show me a little bit about myself and how much I really know God. In fact, verse 65, seems, it seems that his question in the midst of the crisis is, am I sure God is good? But then he comes around to the fact that, in fact, look at verse 68 where he lands. You are good. What you do is good. Teach me your decrees. What's interesting there is when he comes down to it, as he thinks it through and, and remembers what he knows about God, what he's seen about God in past experience, what he's learned about God in his word, he, he has to land on, oh, no, God. Not only are you good, uh, what you do is God. In fact, it's interesting. In here, you, in this verse, there are two words translated good, but they're two very different. They're two different words. The, the first one is saying about God that, that in God is prosperity. God, in God is value. In God, you will find kindness. It's like saying, oh, you want to hang on to him because he's it's valuable. Uh, but the second good is very is a different Hebrew word. It refers actually to, to making things right or pleasant. So he says, I found that not only is God himself good, valuable, someone I, I never want to be away from or let go of, but, but, but the reason is, quite frankly, he makes things go right. He makes things good. Pleasant. And remember, he's writing this in the midst of a very unpleasant experience. It reminds me of Paul's statement in the Testament about having, having peace in the midst of troubling times, uh, having peace that transcends the trouble. And, and that's what this in, individual has found, that not only is God himself good, but 
when I latch on to God in the midst of crisis, I can find that there's peace in the middle of it. That he actually brings a pleasantness when there really shouldn't be pleasantness. As we come to the end of verse 6, Jake, we find where did the writer come to understand this about God? Well, he says, from his word. He says, teach me your decrees. Again, he keeps pushing us back towards the word of God over and over again. And where the author goes next, uh, he goes, he's gone before. The crisis he's in is, is not due to a virus or an unexpected accident or a turn of events. Remember, his crisis is caused by a person, a person who's actually out to do him harm. You know, having gone through both types of experiences in my own life, as I'm sure you have as well, I can say without hesitation, the crisis that comes at the hands of another person who's bent on doing harm to me or to you or doing, making things difficult for us, that kind of a crisis is so much more difficult than, than, than a crisis that just happens, like a virus. Uh, when I know it's actually somebody's against me, out to harm me, that is so much more disheartening than something that just happens. Notice he writes in verses 69 and 70, Though, though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I, I keep your precepts with all my hearts. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. And that's that's hard stuff. Having someone deliberately lie about you, misrepresent who you are, deliberately try to make you look back, to do you harm, that's that's tough stuff. And it's especially difficult if it's someone you trusted, someone you counted as a friend, maybe even a family member. And you say to yourself sometimes, have, have you ever done this? Where I, I can't believe they would say that. Maybe if I go with, go to them, maybe maybe I can clear up this misunderstanding. I'm, I'm sure I can clear it up if I could just talk to them. And, and then when you go and talk to them, if they even let you have to do it, you find it. What you find is a callous, unfeeling heart. That's what this author is going through. And, and you realize when you're dealing with someone who's willing to actually lie to do you harm. So callous that they don't care what happens to you. They don't really, you really don't have any recourse at that point. Uh, often it's your word against theirs, and there's always someone willing to believe the lie. So, so where do you turn with something like that? Notice where he turns. I delight in your law. Not only does he turn to God's word, he actually says, in fact, this is what this word means. When he says, I delight in your law, he, he actually, that word delight means it actually blinds him. He said, your law, when I get into your word, it actually blinds me to what's going on in my life right now. What's being done to me. I, I actually, it changes my perspective on everything. Which is why the Hebrew word translated, that's, I mean, sorry, that's what the Hebrew word translated means. It actually has blinded me to the harm that's being done me, because I see you and I know you've got this, God. And so my vision now is on you and not on the crisis that I'm in. In fact, notice the author actually goes now from questioning God's goodness, which is where he was in the beginning of this section, to, to now actually saying that I'm glad I'm going through this. Uh, verse 71, it, it was good for me to be afflicted. 
so I might learn your decrees. He's saying, I'm, I'm glad for what I am going through because it's driven me closer to God and the, and the significance of his word. And that's a good thing. In fact, you know what he's discovered in the midst of this difficult journey? Look at verse 72. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than, than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. This difficult time has led him to treasure a treasure that he says, I never would have discovered it, the depth of it, how how rich I really was if I hadn't gone through this crisis. It's this crisis that has pushed me in the right direction. It's doing for me what I could not have discovered without it. God, thank you for this precious, precious treasure you've given me in the midst of a very tough time. Here's a final question. Is that what this crisis is doing for you? Is that what it's doing for me? And it's what God wants. Is it what you want? Fathers, we walk through this crisis at this time. There's so much we don't understand. There are all kinds of voices that are saying so many different things. And to be honest, it's hard not to feel that perhaps some of them don't have our best interests at heart. So along with this psalmist, Lord, we ask you for knowledge and good judgment. Help us to lean into you as we walk through this time. Be driven closer and closer to you through your word. To see you and, and your word as a precious treasure. Thank you, God, for being there for us. You promised that you will never leave us or forsake us, and you haven't, and you won't. I pray for each one listening to the sound of my voice right now as they think through this psalm, this section of Psalm 119, that this will bring them comfort and encouragement, that their hearts will be driven closer to you than ever. Lord, we do pray for an end end to this in your timing. When you've accomplished what you know needs to be accomplished in our lives and in the life of our country and our leadership, then we're anxious for this to be over. Not until that day. Thank you for allowing us to be able to trust you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.